Bumperdome. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. It is Beyond the Vote. It's that podcast that attempts to decipher why Donald Trump's the nominee. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Riley's feeling the exact opposite of the music right now. (laughs) But let's do it. Uh, Let's welcome to the program, as always, my good friend and yours. It's Mr. Scott Riefen. How's it going, Scott? Hello, Riley. How are you? Or should I ask? Uh, Don't ask. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, uh, Scott, how did it? How did it? How? Uh. <sighs> Sorry, you're saying? <laughs> My favorite thing is watching Nate Silver doing mea culpas everywhere. You know, Nate Silver is supposed to be the. Oh, yeah. What's well, funny the is because he kept ignoring his own polls. He kept ignoring his own polls. They were right all along, and everyone was like, well, it's, when does it collapse? This can't be true, right? Yeah, it'll no. collapse. It'll yeah. collapse by September. I promise you. <laughs> There's no way to hell Donald Trump will ever get the nomination. Well, we'll, say, well, right, so we'll get into the we'll, – we'll probably touch on the polls briefly because if you believed the polls before about Donald Trump, well, you have to believe the polls now about Donald Trump because they were accurate before – We'll find out this fall whether they're accurate again. A lot can happen between now and November. But welcome to the uh, the Never Trump edition of Beyond the Vote, <laughs> Riley uh, Scott. I, I was a bit of a challenge. I took I took a lot of time and prep for today to really compile like why I feel the way I do. I really want to make sure I was grounded on principle. I really wanted to make sure that this wasn't just a a, a personal dislike. You can you can. You can get your heart set on certain candidates. It's really easy to get emotionally involved with one or the other. So I really wanted to make a a solid case for why I'm having trouble uh, uh, being willing to support the Republican nominee who is now, or the presumptive Republican nominee after Riley checks through and, and watches we go. But it seems to be working. So, so yeah, I wanted to be sure that um, I, I kind of really combed through it. But I think I'm amending my challenge, Scott. Oh. Uh, let me pause our recorder real quick. Okay, I think I think our problems uh, are over, and and that's famous last word, Scott. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, but I, I'm amending I'm amending tonight the, perp- the the beginning of tonight's program at least because I don't think I could, I don't have to I, I I did all this time combing through Donald Trump's past positions quotes and and just really examining who he is and the and, and really where he comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I don't even uh, I'm throwing it all out of the window, Scott. I'm just going to make the case with what he said this weekend. Okay, <laughs> I'm literally just the past seventy two hours. How does that sound? Seventy two little hours, <sighs> Scott. I've got a I've got a little bit of audio here. Um, let's 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 start with um really some of the first big interviews he's given over the course of the Sunday shows and and the weekend shows that he's done. Now that he has clinched the nomination. Uh, clip one. Here we go. Let's let's make sure this is where this is where it gets tricky. Yes, I want to use Windows Media Player. I have to stay true to my principles also, and I'm a conservative. But don't forget, this is called the Republican Party. It's not called the Conservative Party. You know, there are conservative parties. It's called the Republican Party. All right, there we go. Donald Trump. He he is a conservative, Scott. But uh, but it's not called the Conservative Party. It's called the Republican Party. You need to remember that. It's uh, 
We don't want to get too. Uh, let's not let's not get too focused on the on the old c word there. But but of course that's not really specific. That 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 could be positioning. You know, it's getting towards the the general election. Uh, let's hit taxes. Go. I make deals. I negotiate. I put in a plan that has a massive massive tax bigger than any other candidate. We have to negotiate with Congress. You know, I'm not going to be able to say, uh, like President Obama, let's do a, uh, an executive order, okay? It would be wonderful. It would be a lot easier, but you just can't do it. Mm, a lot easier. He's supposed to do it. He may do something. But, and what he's done will probably, many, much of it will be overturned by the courts. What I'm doing is I'm putting in a plan, and that's my maximum plan. That's what but, I but want. Bottom line, do you want taxes on, on the wealthy to go up or down? Uh, they will go up a little bit, and they may go up. You know, but they're going down above, in your plan. No, no, in my plan they're going down, but by the time it's negotiated, they'll go up. Ah, they're going down in the plan, but you know, it's it's a plan. It's just it's a he's a negotiator, Scott. It's 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 just the starting position. They are going to go up. Uh, how much we don't know, but they are going to go up. Uh, but you know, it's just taxes. Let's ignore taxes. Minimum wage. Go. I will. I have seen what's going on, and I don't know how people make it on seven dollars and twenty-five cents an hour. Now, with that being said. I would like to see an increase of some magnitude, but I'd rather leave it to the states. Let the states decide. Let the states decide, because it's important we remember the Tenth Amendment. Now, granted, the minimum wage, way too low, needs to go up, but let the states raise the minimum wage, because we do know that raising the minimum wage, you have to be able to live, you know? You don't know how people get by on minimum wage. Well, hang on one last time, Scott, I'm just going to, just let me, it is very difficult to afford a... Jet with a gold sink in it at seven twenty-five an hour. He's correct on that. <laughs> Very true. All right, let's, all right, and I promise this is the last one, Scott. Uh, and and now, of course, let's talk about the ballooning uh, national debt. Big crisis. Here we go. Trump. People said, "I want to go and buy debt and default on debt." And I mean, these people are crazy. This is the United States government. First of all, you never have to default because you print the money. I hate to tell you, okay? So there's never a default. But but the point is, I w- it was reported in the New York Times, incorrectly. That, that you, know, you said you would go Times. to creditors and make them take less. It was less. reported in the failing New York Times and other places that, that I want to default on debt. You know, I'm the king of debt. I understand debt better than probably anybody. I know how to... I know how to deal with debt so very well. I love debt, but you know, it's debt is tricky and it's dangerous, and you have to be careful and you have to know what you're doing. So it's a ballooning national debt, and um, and we've got to pay it somehow. New York Times claims, hey, he's just going to default, negotiate a lower price. He's saying, no, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. We just we just uh, let's let's print a little bit of money. It's, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. It's just uh, I hate to tell you, I hate to tell you, but you know, we print the money, so. That's just how you solve that that problem, Scott. This is seventy two hours. This is we're uh, here, man. We are here. Like uh, I, I'd like to just ask you, um, where are you on the whole Trump thing now that he is the presumptive nominee? Are you willing to support him in the fall, and why? Let's just start there. Um, I told you when we were talking to the uh, former boxing champion Sal Senecola mm-hmm. that. Trump was not the guy I was ever going to support in the primary, but I would certainly give him serious consideration if he were the nominee. Okay. Uh, and I have to do that. Now, a couple of things on this. Well, one thing is Donald Trump very seldom speaks in complete sentences. <laughs> and it's interesting because on my radio program, I keep threatening to bring in transcripts of his scripts, of his speeches, and read them verbatim <laughs> to the audience, which they, they make little to no sense when you actually take a transcript of what he said. Um. I think there is a reason for that. 
And I think that is so that you can say things and imply things and not be held accountable for them. Okay. So he'll start down an idea two or three words into it. You get the gist. He moves on to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, that having been said, he has, and I heard a little bit of that in some of the clips you mentioned, you, you played just a little while ago, and that's why it came up. Yeah. Because he has walked back the statement about the rich paying taxes, but I don't know that I'm fully convinced on this or paying more taxes. Um, really? What he says is that he has a plan that calls for the rich to pay significantly less in taxes, but that that number would be higher when the final deal was done, however, not higher than it is now. Okay. So what he says is it will still be a tax cut. However, that's to me, if you were taking him at the value of his words, that's not what he said. Uh, and, and couple that with another quote he said over the weekend, which was that he felt like he should pay more, and he knew that other rich people would not mind paying more, just like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't sound like a guy who's about ready to give rich people a tax cut. Um, so it, he has walked it back, but I don't know that he's walked it back successfully. Now, what I'm going to tell you is Betsy McCoy had a piece last week in the New York Post. Did you see this? I have not. Betsy McCoy wrote a piece and basically said, here's what Trump's economic plan is. And you know what? It ain't bad. Uh, We're talking about rolling back the uh, corporate income tax rate from 40%, which it is now, to 15%. Yes. He's also talking about... Which is good, by the way. That would create jobs if that were implemented. Well, here's the other thing he's talking about. A one-time 10% repatriation tax. You know, when a lot of of President Obama's focus has been in the last year or two on trying to figure out how to get that money that U.S. corporations stow overseas so they can avoid the taxes. Mm -hmm. What Trump is saying in his economic plan is... You know, if you guys bring that money back here and put it in our system and let it go to work for us. And I've got some liberal friends who don't understand this concept. We actually had this conversation the other day when they said, well, if it's sitting in a bank, what difference does it make which bank it's sitting in? Well, if it's sitting in an American bank, American banks will use it. That money will be circulating through our system. It will be a part of our economy. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's why it's significant to have that money back in our economy instead of removed from it. Um you know, the pie is larger, so to speak, when that money is over here. And you would think that a liberal would understand that, but for whatever reason, they're, real, they're, they're willfully ignorant on that. Uh, but basically what Trump is saying is 10% repatriation tax. We're not going to make you pay 40% corporate income tax rate, which is what it was when you earned it. But if you bring it back into U.S. soil, you'll pay a 10% tax, and that's it. You get to keep it and do what you got to do with it after that. Um, that is going to do a few things. Obviously, again, it's going to put more of that money in the economy. It's also going to make the government $2.5 trillion, so they say. Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll see. They're also going to get rid of the... Did you know that the Obama administration added last year 81,000 pages of new business regulations? Um, I I mean, I'm not very surprised, no. Last year? So, uh, you know, one of the things he wants to do is let's let's examine some of this regulation. Let's get it back under control. The other thing he's talking about doing is, you know, they've got these uh, these J-1 visas where they bring people in from out of the country. In fact, they do it here at Seattle. You're talking about the, uh, the H-1B visas? No, no, not the, the H-1B. The H-1Bs are more highly skilled. The J-1s are, are a little less skilled. Okay. They're restaurant work, camp work. Gotcha. You know, again, the, the Sea Island folks that come here. They wait tables for summer. They go back. It's a J-1 visa. Uh, 
we bring 100,000 people into this country every year under a J-1 visa. Trump has an interesting thing. He says, why don't, we, why don't we take that program and use it as a job bank for inner city youth? In other words, let's give these jobs to American kids who are in financial straits. Um, so has, there is some has, interesting stuff here. I have, hmm? I have a, a question. Has Donald Trump actually publicly advocated any of these policies you're talking about? <laughs> uh, I'm totally That's, honest question. Has he publicly said what you are saying now? The, you know, it's funny because when I saw the article I, and I read it, I went, wow, on a lot of this stuff. And then I started going, well, where's Betsy McCoy getting her documentation from? Okay. And I cannot find a link to Betty, Betsy McCoy's documentation, but Betsy McCoy has been around a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I believe, she obviously I believe got it's it in from, the plan. I mean, it's obviously accurate. Yes. And, but, and, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, well, I've got a, I, I have a fire hose. Uh, that, uh, I, that was all stuff that I didn't prepare. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what's fascinating to me is that, yes, if you look at his immigration plan, there are excellent policies for dealing with the immigration crisis. Um, grant there are places I disagree with it, but certainly that I think are soundly conservative. Um, and and in in his economic plan, his his tax plan is solid, way way better than Hillary Clinton. But I'm having a hard time looking at any of those plans when, in the course of 72 hours, he says he doesn't need conservatives. That it's called the Republican Party, not the Conservative Party. That his tax plan, the actual one that I that I think is reasonable and has some good elements to it, is just a starting negotiating uh, point. At which point he is tipping all of that and saying, "Yeah, it's all well. It's all going to go up." And then also that, well, the minimum wage. Well, it needs to go way up because that people need to be able to live on a minimum wage, which is not the purpose of a minimum wage and not conservative. Yeah. And when he's basically saying that you either print enough money or you default on your own debt and negotiate a lower rate to repay it, basically violating every element of the full faith and credit in the United States, that well, would essentially plunge us into a third Great Depression. I don't even think that would happen because he would have too much opposition from both parties. But I'm just saying in the course of such a short amount of time, just with the evidence in front of you, I, I'm, I'm just wondering how you throw that out as, as a conservative voter. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I will say, I will say on the issue of defaulting on the debt. I didn't actually hear him say in your clip anyway no. uh, that he was going to default on the that debt. That was the New York Times say, accusing him of being in that position. And to be fair, he's saying that's not true. There, well, there are there are ways to modify loans without defaulting on them. You can go back and negotiate with them, and maybe maybe that default is hanging in the background as a uh, a carrot to get things done. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're, we're actually in no danger of defaulting on our home, but because we're, we're eligible to get a lower in, interest rate, we're actually trying to modify our home loan right now. Um, and it's interesting cause all the paperwork is, you know, how many payments are you behind? What are, you know, when are you going to default on it? Blah, blah, blah. And we're not, we're not any payments behind. We're not going to be, we just have an opportunity to get lower rates and, and, uh, that's a method by which you can do it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, loans can be modified through negotiation and if it's reasonable to everybody, uh, that can happen, and you don't have to default in order to renegotiate or to modify a loan. Uh, I can't yeah. believe I'm spending this much time defending Donald Trump. Oh, but. wait, <laughs> sir, you, it's going to be a long night. Uh, <laughs> well, and I, I feel like a lot of this can be uh, – uh, total transparency. This can really turn to a back and forth on like the avenue for the, the possibility of – 
leaving it room for Trump may not be totally trustworthy. He may not believe it. Maybe there will be people who pressure him. There's a lot of maybes that could you could mm. construct a reality in which his presidency would be better than Hillary Clinton's. That's that's sure. that's a reasonable argument. That's that is a strong argument. Honestly, at the end of four years of Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, it's uh, for me kind of a shot in the dark as to where the country is. Um, because well, and speaking long term specifically, because it's uh, what I'm about to go through is about forty issues, uh, about forty quotes, um, and and I don't I don't have to go through all of them. I'm very tempted to, uh, mm. just because once you end the the fundamental question I'm posing right at the beginning of this before I start really digging into it, because I feel like this really has to be hashed out more for my own sanity as I'm trying to make a decision. Although one's mostly re- reached, but. I'm mostly hashing this out for my own sanity, uh, but the, the the fundamental question that has to be posed now is, is there a line? Is there a way in which the Republican Party could nominate someone that I would not be willing to support in favor of someone who I think might be even worse for the country? Are there like certain principles I can't compromise on? Mm-hmm. And the the my personal answer to that, just being transparent at the beginning, is there are. There are certain issues that I can't support a candidate if he is or has supported those uh, publicly in the past. And, mm. and that just is, simply is the case for Donald Trump. So uh, do you mind if I dive in, Scott? Any, well, fi- uh, any final me, words me, before we jump in the deep end? Let me, let, me, let me throw one more thing out here. I think sure. one of the things you mentioned earlier was interesting, and, that is, I, and, what, and it may be what's ultimately Donald Trump's undoing in this presidential race is when he says things like he doesn't need conservatives. I think he overestimates the power of crossover voting for him. Uh, I think yeah. he doesn't quite understand what McCain didn't understand in 2008, which is those people who crossed over to vote for him were crossing over to vote for him because they believed he'd be the best opponent. Hmm. Not because – or the easiest to defeat. And plainly, the polls have all shown that all along. Yeah. Uh, but plainly, I don't think he's going to enjoy as much crossover Democrat support as he thinks he's going to. And that's why he thinks he can kick a lot of conservatives to the curb – yeah, um, as he said publicly this weekend, that um, yeah. he doesn't need he didn't, he didn't say conservatives, but he was asked about conservatives and said in response, "I don't need everybody." No, and he doesn't need everybody because he or he doesn't think he needs everybody because he thinks he's going to get significant crossover voting from the Democrats, and I don't know that that's genuine. I don't know that that's legitimate. Again, you know, one of the first things that happened when John McCain clinched the Republican nomination in '08, one of the first things he did was thank. Not the Republican Party, not the Republican voters, not conservatives. He thanked the Democrats who crossed over to vote for him. Now, Mm. he believed he was genuinely creating this melding of the two parties. But the truth is they were going over to vote for him because they knew he'd be easy to knock off. Yeah. No, and that it it worked. (laughs) Yeah, and, and I see a little bit of that happening right now. No, and, and that's going to be uh, there. I'm excited also just to have the like the the the, the more nerdy because the ideological Riley is a lot less fun than the pol- political nerd Riley, and so this is the <laughs> ideological episode. But okay. um, uh, diving straight in, it's 2009, and uh, Donald Trump, uh, in response to the um, the historic uh, trillion dollar uh, stimulus plan. When, uh, when President Obama made the address at the time, he said, I thought he did a great job tonight. I thought it was very strong and smart. And it looks like we have somebody that knows what he's doing finally in the office. Uh, throwing some shade at, at Bush, which is not the first time. Um, he did inherit a tremendous problem. He really stepped into a mess. Then he added, well, I, uh, it, later in the conversation, saying, well, I guess taxes are good when they asked about the stimulus plan. So um, 
yeah, stimulus plan, great, great idea. It's uh, very, very solid. Um, in in fact, and and I'm going to reach back a little ways, but uh, but back in '87 when he was originally looking to run for president, uh, he took out ads in the New York Times and a number of prominent uh, newspapers bashing Ronald Reagan's quote unquote incoherent foreign policy, uh, claiming that he was not. Uh, you quote, mean the, the incoherent foreign policy that brought down communism? Uh, it, essentially, yes. Okay, just checking. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, in, 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 the, um, in The Art of the Deal, uh, he said, and I quote, Juan Reagan is another example. He's so smooth and so effective a performer, but he completely and completely won over the American people. Now only seven years later, again, this is at the end of the Reagan term, uh, are people beginning to question whether there's anything beneath the smile. So uh, uh, not a fan of Reagan at the time. Um, and, and in fact... Uh, it was under the Reform Policy uh, Party, which is a very liberal party uh, at the time that he first was looking to run. Uh, and, and so when he was asked by CNN's Wolf Blitzer uh, in 2004, do you identify as more Republican or Democrat? Ha- this is halfway through the Bush term. He said, and I quote, well, you'd be shocked if I said in many cases I'd probably identify more as a Democrat. And I think you'd be shocked at that. Uh, <laughs> I love how Trump, he does have a tendency to repeat statements that he likes, like he likes the way it sounds and then says it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, and he go, went on to say in the same 2004 uh, interview, it just seems the economy does better under Democrats than Republicans. Now, it shouldn't be that way, but we've had some, some pretty disaster under Republicans. Um, so in, in the end, he said, I quote, I identify more as a Democrat. This is 2004. Uh, later on, 2009, praised Hillary Clinton, said she did a, quote, great job. She's, I think she's a terrific woman. I am biased. I've known her for years. I live in New York. She lives in New York. I really like her and her husband a lot. I think she, hmm. works, really, I think she works really hard. And I think, again, she's given an agenda. And it's not all, her, uh, all of her, but I think she really works hard, and I think she does a good job. I like her. What is he, George W. Bush now? <laughs> it's hard work. It's, 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 it's hard, hard work. It's hard work. Uh, but asked again in 2007. So this is right uh, right at the beginning. This is on, in the Situation Room. He said he, continu- he knows her very well. I consider her very talented. This is just on Hillary Clinton. And I lost my notes. Uh, so, so I'm going to finish out with a couple more. Um, in 2000. Eight, he told uh, CNN's The Situation Room that he wanted Congress to impeach President George W. Bush. Quote, I was surprised that, uh, that, they didn't do, that Nancy Pelosi did not do more in terms of Bush and going after Bush. It, seems ju- it seemed like she was going to really look into impeaching him and get him out, which personally I think would have been a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on Nancy Pelosi, quote, I'm very impressed by her. I think she's a very impressive person. I like her a lot. This is 2008. Uh, it, and of course, I mentioned the ad with Reagan's foreign policy, uh, and the one that was also it was circulated in the New York Times, Washington Post, and Boston Globe. This is in 1987, so this is just where he was then, where he is now. He's very consistently over the course of 25 years, very anti-Republican and non-conservative. This is the this is the first of five sequences I have. <laughs> wow! How you feeling, Scott? No, well, you know, I, I think what you've got, you've got a guy who does business, who tries to work a room, who is, despite what all he says, very much a politician, 
and says what I think he wants the people want to hear in a room that he's in. When he's on with Wolf Blitzer, Wolf Blitzer's an avowed liberal. When uh, Bush's poll numbers fell, that's all Wolf Blitzer could report on for weeks. Um, oh, yeah. I think he's saying what he thinks Wolf Blitzer wants to hear. And everybody, by the way, is his really good friend. That's one thing I've always noticed. Whether it's Hillary Clinton or Gene Simmons, they're his really good friend. It, un, until I, I, I can't maintain that many close relationships and yet there he is <laughs> indeed indeed um so i want to write i want to jump to to health real quick real quick um so he didn't write his own health care plan this this much we do know um okay so pretty much there there there's some things there's some okay things let's see i have so many notes here that i've pulled um all right, let's jump to Forbes magazine. This is from back in March. Um, quote, Donald Trump has previously insisted that he likes the individual mandate and that he's opposed to Medicaid reform. If he has changed his mind in the last week, great, but we have no assurance that he won't change it again. So that's when he proposed his initial health care plan, which, again, doesn't include an, inv- an individual mandate um, or, or Medicare reform. But he has in the past stated that he thinks it's extremely important. When asked by Henderson uh, Cooper, quote, if Obamacare is repealed and there's no mandate for everyone to have insurance, uh, what's to and why would an insurance company insure somebody who has a pre-existing condition? In response, Trump said, I like the mandate, okay? So this is from February 2016. Uh, Now, that is astounding to me. You can't just run past the idea that an individual mandate is the best part, is the one good part in Obamacare. Because that's the single, frankly, worst part of Obamacare. Yes. That's the one piece that uh, why it was sued and brought to the Supreme Court as unconstitutional. Um, that's, let's take a quick listen right here. I've got Everybody's got to be covered. This is an unrepublican thing for me to say, because a lot of times they say, no, no, the lower 25 percent, they can't afford private. But universal health care. I am going to take care of everybody. I'm, I don't care if it costs me votes or not. Everybody's going to be taken care of much better than they're taking care of now. The uninsured person. Right. Is going to be taken care they're of. They're going to be How? taken care of. How? I would make a deal with existing hospitals to take care of people. And. You know what? This is probably... Make a deal. Who pays for it? The government's going to pay for it, but we're going to save so much money on the other side. Mm-hmm. Waste, fraud, and abuse. Waste, fraud, and abuse. You always hear about those guys. Waste, fraud, and abuse. Well, I mean, that's from the GOP debate where he said, and I quote, as far as a single payer, quote, it works in Canada, it works incredibly well in Scotland. Um, now, here, here's the thing. No, it doesn't work incredibly well in Canada or in Scotland. No. Yes, uh, and, and premiums are, are higher than they've ever been, and, and actual functionality of the healthcare system is more problematic than it has ever been. Um, but it's not the first time that he's called for universal health insurance. Uh, back in 2000, um, in, his, in the biography that uh, Alexander, Paul Alexander wrote called Trump Towers, uh, he got a quote from Donald in one of his interviews, quote, I would press for universal health care. I would put forward a comprehensive health care plan and fund it with an increase in corporate taxes. Um, and that's from back in 2000. In his own book, uh, America, the uh, America We Deserve, so again, this is from 2000, uh, he said, we must have universal health care. So that's Trump on health care. Again, there's kind of a theme here, and that is you have the plan that he's finally put forward but then you have what the man actually represents and has said. Again, I'm try- I'm, when I was compiling this and, and, uh, and searching around, I, I was 
I was remiss because I, I was trying to decide which way to go because there's the piece where people say, well, I just think he's uh, sexist and misogynist and selfish and represents the worst of uh, greed and, and uh, pseudo-capitalism. Uh, but like the personal attacks are their own. Attacking someone's character is a legitimate line of attack if you disagree with someone. But this is just purely about... Uh, this is purely about conservatism and what it means and, and why, what we draw the, what we do and don't support as conservatives. Um, let's jump to immigration. So this is his strong suit. This is, um, this is where in his initial address, he brought up, uh, the Mexicans coming across the border, the famous phrase, they're rapists. Uh, and some, I assume are good people. So not all. Um, but but let's let's talk about uh, immigration because the number one w- way that Republicans have been really frustrated with the Bush administration and with a lot of the with of course Marco Rubio something that may well have been his undoing was the idea of amnesty forgiveness of the crime of illegally entering the United States and receiving benefits for doing it. Um, this is not in two thousand. This is not in nineteen ninety eight. Uh, or, or 2004. This is in December, December 17th last year. Um, he was he was at he was in a famous interview with the Investor Business Daily. He said, and I quote: "You have to give them a path. You have to make it possible for them to succeed." In reference to illegal immigrants, you have to do that. Um, back in. Uh, 2013. So at least, at least the ancient three years ago, uh, he did meet with dream activists at Tr- Trump Tower and famously publicly stated in, in reference to the Dream Act, "You've convinced me. Uh, we need to we need to make a path for the sons of illegal immigrants or illegal immigrants here who haven't committed a crime uh, to to, uh, to to enter and function in our society." This is uh, this was this big meeting that he had with the Hispanic Heritage Foundation, uh, with what was known then as the Bridge Product, the big advocacy for the Dream Act. Um, in in September, uh, he he said, and I quote: "When it comes to Syrian refugees, uh, I hate the concept of it, but on a humanitarian basis, you have to." And I quote: "Take uh, take Syrian refugees in," uh, which of course he did quickly walk back. To be fair, um, but. You know, then, of course, as famously brought up in the debates, there were upwards of 200 uh, illegal Polish workers who helped him actually build Trump Tower, which he was prosecuted for and had to settle. And uh, at the time, his his labor consultant, and this is from um, uh, this is from New York Newsday uh, in 1990, uh, he said that Donald Trump knew that the workers were illegal immigrants at the time. Uh, so that uh, that's a source close to him. It's not him himself saying that he knowingly hired illegal immigrants. So when it comes to immigration, it's another thing that he has been consistently on the wrong side of when it comes to the issue of amnesty uh, for years, decades, in fact. I have, I have, I have a little bit more, a little bit more. Scott, I'm just you, waiting. You still with me, Scott? All right, I'm I'll, here. I tell you what, man. I really because this is not this is not to keep beating a dead horse. The point is made, but not made thoroughly. <laughs> so I'm gonna just jump through uh, taxes, uh, abortions, Supreme Court, and Trump University. That's <laughs> that's all I'm gonna do. And I'm not even gonna hit all of them just for the sake Holy of time. Uh, <laughs> so essentially, he did par- propose the largest ha- tax hike in American history in his 2000 presidential run when he wanted the one-time uh, 14.25. 
uh, quote unquote haircut, the tax, uh, it would raise five point seven trillion in new revenue. Uh, now, this would have been the largest in history by far. Uh, in fact, PolitiFact uh, went on to say that it was the biggest ever simply in sheer size because of the trillions of dollars. A simple 14.5% tax just automatically across a certain sector of Americans uh, would have in plunged plunged businesses out of the ability to, to hire, not to mention high taxes. Uh <laughs> I mean, you just kind of basically uh, uh, suffice to say this tax was uh, supported at very, very vocally and humorously, I might add, considering how much she's attacked him in the last week by Senator Elizabeth Warren at the time, who said, I agree with Donald Trump on taxes. Uh, (laughs) This is this is CNN um, in September last year. Uh, Rolling quickly to uh, uh, abortion. This is pretty straightforward. Um, when asked uh, on Meet the Press in 1999, this has made it into a lot of ads, he was asked about uh, being pro-life or pro-choice. He said, quote, I'm pro-choice in every respect. Then he was asked about partial birth abortion, and he said no. He said, we would not ban partial birth abortion. He responded, nope, I'm pro-choice in every respect. What? Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, now, he does strongly say now that he is pro-life, but the passage of time did not change his mind in 2013 uh he said quote it wasn't his big issue uh this was this was reported in the daily beast and this is one of his interviews with um with the howard stern show in 2013 uh he also hesitated uh uh in a in a later interview well on august last year so jumped from 2013 to 2015 um he was asked about it. He said, do you really think the government should be regulating what a woman, what a woman's personal decision is? His response, well, a lot of people do. <laughs> but, and then moved on. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I think really the strongest case for whether or not he feels uh, strongly about being pro-life or not comes in his very vocal, continued, and unwavering, one of the few things he hasn't waffled on, uh, government funding for Planned Parenthood, which he's repeatedly in debates talked about how uh, positive it is and that he doesn't like abortion, but he likes pretty much everything else you do. Do a modicum of research on Planned Parenthood and you know that uh, most of its function is to provide abortions. The debate yeah. is whether or not that's positive, whether or not you agree with whether or not uh, or abortion is right. Jumping quickly to the Supreme Court. Um, so basically he said <sighs> that Marianne... Barry, a.k.a. his sister, would make a great Supreme Court justice. She just happens to be uh, emphatically she? pro-choice. She? <sighs> yep. Marion Barry? Yep. The former mayor of Washington, D.C.? Yep. She? She. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so, so she's the... Um, yeah, Marianne Trump Barry, the federal judge in the U- U.S. Court of Appeals Third Circuit. Oh, um, not Marion Barry, the not bitch set me up, Marion Barry. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Yes, that, that, okay. that's good. good I made, made that clarification. Um, so, so here's pretty much whether or not a uh, it, what is important when it comes to the Supreme Court, like Second Amendment, First Amendment, uh, being pro life. What kind of things do you care about a Supreme Court uh, caring about? And, and this, the simple matter of the fact is that he was said. Quote in the America We Deserve book that came out in 2000, quote, the Republicans walk the NRA line and refuse even limited restrictions. He does support um, 
assault weapon bans. Uh, and so then that's something that he also has not walked back on. And I, I kind of lumped that in a little bit, Second Amendment, with the Supreme Court, because I think that'll be one of the central issues coming up in the inevitable uh, Clinton presidency. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Um, so, and, and, and then lastly, just really just pile onto the Supreme Court. I also lump eminent domain into that, um, where I think Trump is on the wrong side of that, and that I think is closely related to his Supreme Court appointee. And that's really, the Supreme Court's one of the biggest issues and arguments for him. Uh, and finally, it's, uh, it's Trump University. It's been covered pretty thoroughly, but it's, it's pretty simple. He, he slapped his name on a business school, called it Trump University. Uh, the majority, uh, not the minority, the majority of attendants uh, requested uh, refunds and then went on to uh, sue because saying it was a scam. Um, Pretty much every objective uh, journalistic investigation into it shows that uh, that yes, uh, it was it was essentially a scam. Um, I'm not going to get into all of the details because I feel like I've spent the last 15 minutes just literally going insane. That this man is the nominee of the Republican Party. I don't understand. Uh, I, I've thought I I've tried to rationalize. I understand the arguments for why. And I even feel like I have a, a limited understanding of uh, of where we are as a country that that he's nominated and and the reasons you know whether it's media celebrity his name recognition beforehand what he's thought of as a, as a strong businessman and as a take as as a you know self made man who won't take outside influence there are all of these reasons why I understand people vote for him but at at the same at the same time. Right now, as it stands, he's got 42% of the popular vote. With no opposition in the remaining states, he'll be able to barely crack 50% of the popular vote. He'll certainly get more than 1,237 delegates. He will be the nominee. Um, Scott, what do I do? If you were me, talk me through it. All right. I'm going to talk you through this very easily. Okay. There is a very distinct possibility that if you vote for Donald Trump, you'll be getting a liberal in the White House. Very distinct. Okay. Though he is campaigning as a conservative for the most part. And most of the things he says publicly, most of his plans seem to make a decent amount of conservative sense. There is a possibility if you vote for him, you will be electing a liberal. Okay. There is a 100% chance if you assist in any way Hillary Clinton's ascension to the presidency, you will be electing a liberal. No question about it. 100% chance. Is Okay. And, and and that's a legitimate argument because if you're at, if you're looking at just like the overall positions um, and and uh, party support, you can say that uh, Donald Trump probably wouldn't be as liberal as as, as Hillary Clinton, and that's Still. a fair and that's a fair statement. Um, so then you have to say, can you vote for a man who's pro-choice? Uh, it it all depends. It all depends. I mean, if it depends on what the choices are out there mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Uh, I am not a pro-choice individual, but I'm I'm not pro-choice in a very <laughs> in a very strong way. Uh, I I am a you know, and the, and the women will come after me now. Uh, I believe that if you rationalize the pro-choice or the pro-life stand uh, point of view. As being the fact that you cannot justify the killing of an innocent child, then I believe that those circum that the circumstances of the conception are not an issue. 
Yeah. If you're killing an unborn life, you're killing an innocent unborn life, no matter what the conditions of the conception are. Yeah. So you're, and, you're, you're fairly uh, – the, the current Republican platform uh, is, is, is the same. That's one where Trump said that it needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, to include, uh, I quote, the exceptions, um, not naming what the exceptions are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. For me, um, I agree with you. And it, it, for me, it's it's often such a passionate and emotional argument. But for me, it's very simple as to whether or not you think uh, an unborn child is a human being or not and has constitutional rights or not. And you either do or don't. And but- and. And and if you do, uh, you you believe in your pro life, and if you don't, you're pro choice. No, but um, you also have to in voting. And again, you know, you want me to talk you through this. Yeah, yeah. And and I say again, your choice is someone who over the last twenty years has been both pro life and pro choice, or someone who over the last twenty years has been consistently, rigidly pro choice. Hmm. That's my choice. That's your choice. And I say at least you have some glimmer. With the one who has flip-flopped. Let me rephrase the question. Um, (laughs) Is there anything that Donald Trump right now could say, he holds a press conference, what is a policy, or even let's name a couple to where at least they would add up, to where you're just like, I don't care if, uh, I don't care if it's Lucifer. Uh, on the other side, aka Ted Cruz, <laughs> man. By the way, this la- the last week of everything crashing and burning is so adventurous. Um, but what is what for uh, Scott? What is what are issues that for uh, the majority of of Trump supporters? What could he come out and say that would make you or or do that would make you no longer willing to vote for him in a general election? Um, that would be hard because again, what I know is I'm going to get either a committed leftist or someone who has leftist tendencies. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that there's an alternative there. Uh, now, you know, his, die, and, and you know, I'm not a diehard supporter. We've talked about this over and over oh, again. Oh, sure, I mentioned sure. it during this program. Um, but at the same time, when you talk to his diehard supporters, there is nothing you can say. I mean, when he said he could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot a guy and and his numbers would go up, he wasn't lying. No. There's a certain degree of fanaticism to his support that, in all honesty, has been very frightening to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's It has been very reminiscent of the same things I was critical of the left for in 08 with Obama. This messianic treatment of their candidate. And, and, and I'm watching it on the cons- – and, you know, and, and – Eight years ago, I remember thinking and even saying aloud, our guys would never do that. Our guys would never treat our guy like that. We treat our guys like human beings. And now I'm watching our guys treating him like he's uh, he's a messiah. Hmm. And yeah. that's that's been frightening. Now, uh, I would say the one thing that might pull me off is an incredibly strong third-party candidate. But I couldn't tell you who that is at this point. Yeah. Uh, my, my ultimate, my dream election at this point is that Bernie Sanders gets mad and decides to go run socialist, which, you know, he is anyway. He was never a member of the Democrat Party until just now. Sure, sure. Until he decided to run for president well, under that uh, banner. Until the Democratic Party uh, uh, shifted enough towards his own positions and then yeah. he's well, ready he to go. Yeah, right. if, if Bernie Sanders were to jump into the race third party, 
Yeah. And a and a solid conservative were to jump into the race third party, then it would be on. Then yeah. it would be interesting because oh. Sanders would Sanders would siphon votes off of Hillary in a big way. Scott, I didn't think it was possible to be remotely hopeful in the course of this recording, and now I am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating place to be because it's a fundamental question you have to ask yourself if you're a conservative is, are there lines? Like, are, yeah. it, are there things that you cannot support a candidate? And for me, um, honestly, it, if, if you removed, uh, for, for me, the reason I, I cannot support, uh, Donald Trump, even though I think that his policies, his presidency overall, um, at least policy wise, I, I, I'm not even convinced that his presidency would be better than Hillary Clinton's presidency because he would have no oppositions. Because if there's one thing that the Republican Party is not known for right now, it's spines. So, like, a Trump presidency has no resistance. So if he gets up and says, hey, I'm issuing an executive order, uh, I'm ex- issuing an executive order, we're doing $15 minimum wage, I don't, even, I don't think that the majority of the party opposes him. Um, so like, uh, so overall, the, the, if you look at uh, just an overall picture of a Clinton presidency and a Trump presidency, I think that a Trump presidency, um, it, we think it's bad now, but I think honestly, just based on, uh, this entire election season, I think he's incapable of reining in his, um, the, the nastiest part of his nature. Where he's well, willing to uh, j- say my wife's hotter than your wife, and I think he'll say that at a state dinner. I think he'll. Let me, let me, and let and me yes, also people, throw some, this some, just to knock oh, sorry, you further ahead. off balance. Okay. <laughs> Hillary Clinton's record as a senator was a fairly moderate one. Uh, when she was put into play as a senator, yeah, she wasn't a a hard. She wasn't an Elizabeth winger. Warren, yeah. Uh, as she as she kind of was the first couple of years Bill Clinton was in office when she was heading up the uh, government con- t- takeover of the healthcare industry, um, Bill had to moderate in the nineties. She learned how to moderate because of that, and uh, she was more of a center left senator. And yeah. there may be a possibility that in order to get something done and achieve something with a Republican Congress, and you know, and the climate right now doesn't indicate that's even possible, but if she really wants to go down to somebody who made a difference and made some change, she would have to get along with a Republican Congress, and that may well mean she governs as a center right president. Which, I mean, excuse me, center left president, which yeah, may actually be a little more conservative than a Trump presidency. I'm I'm actually surprised to hear you say that, Scott, because I I firmly believe that. But I wasn't that wasn't going to be my go-to uh, opening when I compared the two presidencies. But but yeah, when it comes to like Trump's brand of conservatism isn't conservatism, and and he has I I challenge your your description as someone who has liberal tendencies. I I, I think he's someone who's had an absolutely consistent record supporting liberal policy until th- three four years ago. Um, and that's, um, I mean, I, I, is I think it, he's been inconsistent. I mean, look, you know, when he talks about Reagan in 87, he wasn't saying those things about Reagan in 83. Okay. Nobody was saying that about Reagan in 83. Um, you know, when he endorsed Kerry in 04, he was still supporting Bush in 03. Uh, so, you, so it, you know, you don't think he's like a flaming liberal at heart. Uh, you just think he's an opportunist 
who yes. you, who's who's gone both ways. Yes, and 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 rep, and is able to change with the winds. Pretty much. That's exactly what I think he is. Yes. Wait. So uh, okay. <laughs> well, so I mean, but uh, both I mean almost equally bad descriptions of the man. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to endorse Trump. Here oh, tonight. I know, I know, I know, and I and I and I know you're not. And it's interesting because it's 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 a it's a it's a fascinating way to process through through where we are. And and I think when I was ta- talking about comparing the two presidencies, uh, it's we think it's bad now, and I think we think that whatever damage has been done to the brand of conservatism has been done. We haven't seen anything yet. Uh, I I firmly believe that. I I think this this general election will be nasty, obviously, but we have totally underestimated the the media machine that will turn on him and and it, and once once we hear his uh, howard stern interviews plastered across the airwaves where he says that flat-chested women can't uh, can't be tens and where uh he talks about the <laughs> i mean just like quote after quote i want i i was thinking through some and then i didn't even really want to repeat here on on my own <laughs> podcast and and so when it comes to just like who he represents um uh, he rep- he represents honestly i believe the 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 worst of us instead of rising above uh and and having a real conviction for our principles and our founding principles he represents the angry baseball bat where you no longer can you no longer think clearly enough and you hit the other guy in the face so now you're in detention i he will put the republican party i, I forget it i don't care about the republican party he will he will brand conservatism for for decades and put us in detention and i honestly think that's happened to a certain extent now but scott i legitimately believe that we've seen nothing and i'm willing to go on record right here and say he will lose 30 to 35 states. He will be destroyed in the Electoral College. I'll be surprised if he can crack 200 delegates um, in the general election. His poll numbers are abysmal, and I honestly believe that they're accurate. They've been accurate so far. They said in the Republican primary there's enough anger and enough support that he found his path, and he got his nomination narrowly, barely, but still, they were accurate. And, And in fact... They often overestimated him a little bit, but not too much. And then now uh, here we stand, and you just look at a 90% unfavorable view among African Americans, an 80% unfavorable view among Hispanics, and which I think is odd that that's not inverse. Uh, although, let me jump in here and say something ridiculous, if I may. Okay. Uh, 90% unfavorable view among African Americans, but most Republicans are at 95%. 80% unfavorable view amongst Hispanics, but most conservatives and Republicans are at 93%. So <laughs> when you throw those kinds of negatives out there, that, you have to view them in the backdrop of, of I mean, reality. But well, but the I guess but I, I'm comparing to the numbers that, that Rubio Bush and Cruz had, uh, none of which had those numbers. So I, I, I guess if you want to speak broadly, are you thinking like Bush numbers? No, or? no, no. Even, even Bush didn't pull 20% of the Hispanic vote. Really, I would have sworn that he did. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would have sworn that he did. Um, but I'll, I'll take you. I'll take your word for it. Um, and, and yes, that, that's true. But like his current numbers, and then finally, seventy percent unfavorable among uh, women in, in a national election. So um, unless these numbers, you you either believe that Donald Trump has a broader appeal than he currently has, or he, or you don't. And and so. We don't really have to worry about a Trump presidency 
because mm-hmm. like uh, I, we're, we're going to have a phone call on November third, Scott. Actually, yeah. we'll probably we might even be watching these things come in live, and it's going to be uh, very interesting to see because I I'm willing to put money on the fact that that Donald Trump will not crack 200 delegates. Okay, I'm going to correct myself. W had 35 and 40 percent of the Hispanic vote. That's what I. That's what I would have. Dole had 21 percent. Okay. Um, yeah, but he's Bob Dole. Well, he's Bob Dole. That's true. <laughs> but but again, on the black vote, yeah, ninety percent would be good. Bush could Bush would have done well with ninety percent of the black vote. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And that that makes more sense to me because Bush was extremely popular in in Texas and one Texas and Florida, uh, sure, with the Hispanic vote uh, particularly. Um, so I, I guess um, there's only a few more things to really I think go through because we've established our our kind of where we are today, what it means. Um, there's a litany of reasons, but honestly, for 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 both waffling pop policy and opportunism, both what I think of the man's character personally, and uh, and finally, just for um, what I think it does to the conservative movement long term, are all three reasons that I think are are um, are handily why I, I I can't support him in a general election. Now I have to be ideologically consistent. I'll be specific. There are certain policies I can live with Jeb Bush. Um, I did not like him as a candidate. I felt like a lot of his policies were fairly moderate to liberal, especially on education, but I was willing to, uh, I would be willing to pull the trigger for Bush and he would be one of the least ones. Uh, and it would have been kind of hard for me. I'm very picky. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, I, and the same thing goes for Rubio. If if Lindsey Graham ran in a general election, I would have a very hard time supporting him because of policies yeah. he supported. And I'm not like listen. The there's a new national poll out from CBS, I believe it was CBS, uh, that included Gary Johnson in it, and it's like wow, he's four times as high as he's ever been at eleven uh, percent. If he cracks fifteen sometime between now and the debates, he can get on the national debate stage with the current rules. But I can't support Gary Johnson because he is pro-choice, and and that is one issue that I can't uh, can't waffle on. Uh, I can understand if you've had a pivot point, if you no longer think what you do, and Donald Trump does say he's pro-life now, but he he's on record far too many times supporting not just being pro-choice, but the the very most liberal, all the way up to you know partial birth abortion. I I can't pull the trigger on the on these certain issues for principle, and I'm willing to bet Scott, and I'll I'll finish off with this question. It, uh, give your honest assessment of of me as a voter. Do you think I represent um, anything beyond any significant number of conservative voters? And uh, what do you think of us? If you think there is an us, <laughs> uh, I think there is a you. I don't know how strong it is, how big it is. Um, I, I'm still trying to gauge that myself. Yeah, I, I will tell you this: uh, Mark Levin is firmly in your corner. Yeah. And as a program director of a radio station that airs him, uh, he is – his show in recent weeks, because of that point of view, is the one I've gotten the most hate mail about. Yeah. So uh, right now the Republican Party is sharply divided. Maybe that's what Trump wanted all along. The Republican Party is sharply divided, and the never-Trump crowd uh, is, is really – they're speaking loudly – and they're being yelled at loudly as well. Uh, there's really not a lot of middle ground. It's interesting. You've heard you know, this we've debate. talked a lot about national politics and how we've kind of split. Yeah. 
very dramatically amongst left and right. But even – and it's one of the things I've always said is, you know, if you got rid of liberalism, conservatives would still split in two and form two different parties and still <laughs> go at true? each other with the same it's, venom it's and true. vitriol that the that left and right go at each other. Um, and, and I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. Uh, there is a there's a distinct split in conservatism. Part of this, in my opinion, part of it is that there there's not that guy out there who is being instructive on the principles of the philosophy. Mm-hmm. There's not that there is not a William F. Buckley out there. Uh, Rush Limbaugh did that job very well twenty twenty five years ago, but his demo has aged as he has. So there's not anybody who's really out there conveying the principles of conservatism to young people. Um, And and so the philosophy is just kind of being maintained by, you know, some of its keepers, but it's really not being handed down in a big way. Yeah. And, and I think that's a distinct problem. I think it's, it's what you're going to see going forward is a major problem for the Republican party. In some ways, I, honestly, in, I think this this election cycle, particularly, almost beyond what the, who the next president is, this election cycle, I think, is going to be so venomous. It, I think, it will be the angry Reagan generation um, lashing out, um, so lashing out, willing to abandon uh, many of the principles that they. Uh, thrived on and that the nation thrived on you know 30 years ago and it's it's a tragedy but we're also going to see once that once they go down fighting and and i think that's going to be the story here in november they went down fighting they may have been fighting with uh a weapon that was very much uh, (laughs) outside of of who they were 30 years ago but a weapon nonetheless that um that is like one final lashing out and and conservatism needs new leaders and it's yeah. not going to be the it's not going to be Mitch McConnell it's not going to be John Boehner no. it's not going to be as as much as i call him my policy boyfriend uh <laughs> it's Paul Ryan um it's not going to be Paul Ryan he's he uh, i mean of those people he might have a slight potential to do that um, I, yeah i actually think he could i think Newt could be that guy but i think Newt's interested more in in being on tv yeah. Um, so I think I, I guess just to, to to put a button on that, um, I think it it regardless of what happens, we're on a inevitable train uh, train rather towards um, a a reset, and I think it's a natural ebb and flow. And I think it'll be interesting, Scott. Honestly, at the beginning of this call, uh, I was kind of at the point where I was like, well, I guess this is the last episode because like if if Riley's at a point where. He can't vote for him, and Scott's like, "Well, you know, here's the alternative." And both are legitimate arguments uh, to be made. I, I was like, "Well, what do we do now? <laughs> we just have the same show every week." But honestly, Scott, this is just me thinking out loud. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation because what what I did with my giant uh, <laughs> hissy fit list of just like, "No, this guy's not a conservative." Um, when you dig into it. What it really forced me to do is think, like, what are policies? Why do I think that a single-payer system is bad? Why do I disagree with an individual mandate? Why do I think that a $15 minimum wage um, hurts small businesses? And these are arguments that have been, that have been lost for you know, 16 years, that have not yeah. been made well 
Um, since since honestly, since Reagan on really. Um, well, and, 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 and Reagan I think, could instruct. Reagan could tell a story. Reagan could tell a joke and summarize the issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got a videotape and a CD full of just Reagan telling jokes, and the jokes are always instructive about conservatism. And we don't have that person anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm actually a little bit more encouraged uh, uh, to move forward each week here and not really participate in the the flame war um, because, I mean, it's going to happen. You're going to have those who aren't willing to jump on board, and either Trump will or won't be successful in capturing enough angry um, voters in the middle, and he'll either win or he won't. If he if he if he doesn't, you know, it'll be a lot of the the ne- the never Trumpers who are who are blamed for it, uh, and it'll be un- you know a further divide. But that's that's that story's already played out, and it's just going to continue to play out. I'm interested in talking about and, and putting context behind the national politics, which is really what we've done here all along. That's kind of the whole thesis of the show to begin with. So I'm kind of looking forward to. Uh, really taking the show's focus on, uh, like what is conservatism and why why does it work? And uh, let's not we're, let's not try to hunt down enemies at, and just say these are the bad people. Let's yell at them. Let's actually communicate directly about uh, what what conservatism is. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. I feel like I feel like that's a good spot, sir. I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's time. Let's do it, ladies and gentlemen. It was, it was that is therapeutic, actually. Um, Good. Here's the thing. I may not be able to um, pull the lever for the Republican nominee, but there are worse things. Uh, and, and, and the fact of the matter is, as many problems as, as I and many conservatives have with the direction of our country and how um, you know maybe the executive branch is, is overplayed and all that, you know, fundamentally, this is the greatest country on earth ever. And the balance of powers is there for a reason, and we can survive. And that's saying a lot, that we can survive any of these two people. Ladies and gentlemen, that puts the wraps on this episode of Beyond the Vote. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. Beyond the Vote, Civil War. I totally had, in fact, I, I was. I totally forgot that I had queued, literally, queued up this part right here. Hang on. The, the beginning of the show was literally just going to be this. <laughs> That's a great movie too, by the way. All right, let me uh, let me shut off the old recorder here. Da, 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 da.